Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to be reading verses 1 through 10. When you have it, say amen. Do y'all really have it or y'all just saying amen because I said say amen? That's just a con- like it's just natural to do. Amen. And if, if you're able uh, to stand, I'm going to ask that you stand as we read the word of God. the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Jesus Christ. For by grace you have been saved through faith, This is not of your own doing. It is a gift from God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Please pray with me. God, thank you for allowing us to see another day. God, thank you for the love and the grace and the mercy that you show us that we often take for granted. God, Uh, I pray for us today that our hearts will be open, that you are open ears, that you can, you will do work that only you can do. And God, we thank you for uh, the the small glimpses of grace that we see in our chaotic lives. God, I pray that you will meet us where we are this morning. Your son, Jesus, name I pray. Amen. Amen. You may have a seat. The other day, my wife and I uh, were watching a show that we've been watching for about the past week. Um, I enjoy the show. Kind of a slow start, but I enjoy the show uh, overall. So I'm ready to watch the show, and she has like this uh, realization from another movie that she was watching, and she said, she's showing me this lady, and she said, hey, like, doesn't she look like much differently than how she used to look? Her name is uh, Renee Yep, I have no idea who that is. And that's the point. you know, you know how you're having a, a conversation with someone and they are telling you a story about someone who you may not know or may not be close with, and to be honest, you're just really not interested, like as interested in the conversation because you're not invested in that person. Does that make sense, what I'm saying? And so you're not like, like I really don't care, you know, um, because it doesn't involve me, right? I said that to say that what we're talking about this morning does involve you no matter where you are. All right, so, so my prayer um, is that you will see yourself in this test. Amen? Amen? So what I love about Ephesians 2 begins in the first half of Ephesians 1. So if you have a Bible, maybe you turn back, flip back a page, or on your phone, you scroll up. Uh, but in one chapter, Paul mentions every member of the Trinity. We often forget about the Holy Spirit because he plays the background, but in chapter one, we see the critical role that the Holy Spirit plays in salvation. We'll get to him in a minute, but let's start off 
with the first member of the Godhead. And by the way, the terms Trinity and Godhead are, are interchangeable. Starting in verse 3, Paul pays homage to the Father, saying, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. So if we were to pull some key words out of that, uh, we see that one, that the Father chose us, two, predestined us, and last but not least, that he adopted us. Joel was kind of talking about this in Sunday school this morning. I was about to stop him because I'm like, bro, you in my sermon. Like, you got to <laughs> wait. <laughs> uh, um, so once again, the Father ch uh, chose us, predestined us, and adopted us. Uh, and so that's everyone who places their trust in Christ. So if we go down to verse 7, moves to the second person of the Godhead. He says, in him, talking about Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Uh, going down to verse 11, still talking about Jesus, Paul says, in him we have obtained an inheritance. So if we were to pull some key words there, we see redemption, which literally means to be bought back, forgiveness of trespasses, and we see that we have access to an inheritance through Christ. And that's Paul shines light on the Holy Spirit. Check out verse 13. Paul says that when you believe the gospel, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance. What inheritance is he talking about? The same one that we receive through Christ's sacrifice until we acquire possession of it. So until, until we either die or when Jesus comes back for us. So if we would pull some key words out of here. It would be sealed with the Holy Spirit. Now let's contextualize this to make it plain since we are in Baltimore. What is the common house pest that's in Baltimore? Mice. It's, it is what it is, right? Most of us, you know, have them or have had them. So when we try to get rid of them, we're advised that the best approach is not to just put stuff down, but to do what? Seal all the cracks that we see in the house so that the mice will not escape the area that they're in and be confined in the said area. This is what the Holy Spirit does for us. He seals us so that, what happened? Oh, <laughs> he seals us so that we cannot slip through the cracks of salvation, therefore confining us in Christ. Amen? Ladies and gentlemen, I present to you Paul's presentation of how the Godhead accomplishes salvation. It's the Father who chooses, the Son who accomplishes salvation for the chosen. It's the Holy Spirit who seals them. How do we know who Paul is talking to here? He begins his letter by addressing the saints in Ephesus. Uh, but this is not limited to the saints in the region of Ephesus, but to every single human being who has trusted, trust, and will trust in Christ for the forgiveness of their sins. Amen? So after this, Paul tells them how much he prays for them. He brags on God some more, speaking on his greatness, power, and how he, uh, or he hands the church to Christ. Then in chapter 2, Paul switches directions and that's what we'll focus on today as we consider biblical transformation. So still talking to these saints, we're in verse 2 now, Paul reminds them who they were. He tells them their former condition. And that's my first point, that we need to be reminded who we were or are. 
need to be reminded who we were or who we are. And I think because we are forgetful. As people, we forget stuff. That's our nature, right? This is why we need community, to be reminded for about what God has done, because we forget. This is why the writer of Hebrews tells us to come to church, so that we will be reminded of the mercies that we have received from God. So after just telling them how they've been saved, Paul says, don't get it twisted. He says that they were dead in trespasses and sins in which they once walked. In other words, he's saying, don't forget where you came from. Did you know that it is a verified undeniable fact that the worst thing that someone from the hood can do is make it out the hood and then forget about the hood. Facts. Cardi, I knew you was going to say that. (laughs) This is an undeniable fact. The worst thing that someone from the hood can do is make it out the hood and forget about the hood. And even worse than that, act like they're not from there. There are a lot of rappers, actors, athletes who aren't welcome where they are from because of this. This is kind of similar to what Paul is saying here. Do not forget where you came from. Don't forget the state that you were in. Don't forget that you were getting drunk and getting high and sleeping around, lying on your taxes. And these are just obvious things. Some of our sins may not have been as blatant or obvious, but it does not make them any less sin. So what does Paul say? Once again, he says that they were dead. They were just as much dead as they were alive. Now, that's scary. That's a scary thought. And what does that remind you of? What did did God tell Adam and Eve what happened to them when they ate from the forbidden tree? It's not a trick question. Answer me. He says that they would surely die. Did they die a physical death that was obvious right there on the spot? No. But they did die a spiritual death. Thank you, Tony. The punishment for their sin was very real, and they were very much affected by it. As a matter of fact, we're all affected by this. As a matter of fact, uh, we've all been affected by it. Ladies and gentlemen, the payment for sin is death. Not just a physical death, but a spiritual death as well, which means hell. And according to this text, we are all children of wrath. And think about this for a minute. No one told you to breathe this morning. No one told you to blink your eye in the past five seconds. This is something that you do mindlessly without giving it a second thought. And it's the same with us being sinful beings. We naturally sin. We are naturally sinners. No one had to teach us how to sin. We're just taught different ways to do it. Amen? And because of our sin, we have been storing up wrath for ourselves. And God's wrath is ready to crush us. Imagine if this roof right here that's over us is representative of God's wrath. If it came crashing down on you, what could save you from it? And God would be perfectly fair in destroying you and destroying me. For centuries, America has experienced and dished out injustice. We've experienced it right here in our own city. We've seen perhaps the most gut-wrenching decision with the acquittal of the officers involved in Freddie Gray's death who are continuing to, who continue to work for the police department even today. 
And if that's too nebulous for you, and you trust official reports, the Civil Rights Division of the United States Justice Department did an internal investigation on the Baltimore City Police Department. It's 163 pages of unconstitutional stops, searches, arrests, discrimination against African Americans and its enforcement activities, the police's department's overuse of unreasonable force and other unfair practices that were carried out against the citizens of this city. Clear injustice. So whether outright corrupt or well-meaning with oversight, we as human beings are flawed in decisions that we make and actions that we commit. And this is where we differ from God. This is how we're separate from God. God is what we call holy. Holy literally means to be separate. There's a clear line of demarcation between God and man, and that line is holiness. And we see this all throughout the scripture, God's holiness and how he doesn't play about it. In the Old Testament, the tabernacle was constructed in such a way that the farther you went in, the holier you had to be. All right. So the outer court was a place that everyone could be at. And because of it, it was the biggest area. The next section was called the holy place. Now, this is an area, this is an area that uh, only priests could enter, and they represented God's people. The last section was the Holy of Holies. This is where God dwelt. This is where the Ark of the Covenant was. And only one person could enter into this place once a year, and that person was who? The high priest. And even he wasn't safe. As a matter of fact, he had to make atonement for his own sins. In addition to that, he wore bells when he went in, and there was a rope that was tied around his ankle as a backup plan in case he wasn't right before God. So the other priest would listen out or, or listen up to hear the bells because that means that he died, he dropped down, they can't go in there, so they had to pull him out with the rope. God even told Moses to tell Aaron to not go in there so that he wouldn't die. All right, so this is an example of, or, of God's holiness on display. Isaiah experienced God's holiness as well in the sixth chapter of his book. First off, what word and attribute were the angels repeating about God? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. And it goes on to say, And the post of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. Then he said, Woe is me, for I am ruined, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Check out Isaiah's response to recognizing and encountering a holy God. First off, he says, woe is me. This is a sorrowful, distress call. He knows that he is in trouble. He says that he is ruined because of his sin, and he stands before holiness. Now, I want you to think about other people who have claimed to have had all these encounters with God. Now, I'm, I'm not too quick to dismiss everyone. However, I can acknowledge a difference in how others responded and how Isaiah responded. So you got some people out here who write in books and going around with a smile on their face talking about how they seen God and encountered God. And they're gaining popularity. But Isaiah was ready to die because he knew that he deserved to because of his sin and standing before a holy God. And when you truly think of God's holiness and your lack of it, you can easily put yourself in Isaiah's shoes. 
That's why I don't understand when people use scriptures like only God can judge me and we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God as a means to pacify their sins. I understand that the goal is to communicate that our ultimate fate does not lie in the hand of humans, but God. And what I'm saying is that scriptures like these should literally put fear in us and not justify our sins. One thing that Isaiah understood and that I'm hoping that we'll understand this morning is the reality that affects us all, and that is that God's eyes are too pure to look on evil. Since God's eyes are too pure to look on evil, and by nature we are children of wrath, then this means that our future is destruction. And the scripture goes on to say, but God. Turn to your neighbor and say, but God. Turn to your other neighbor and say, that's a big old butt. <laughs> Amen. You never said that from the pulpit, have you, Joel? <laughs> this is my second point, that we understand that God has not only provided, but is the solution for our sin problem. Paul says, but God being rich in mercy, mercy is the key word right here. Mercy opposes our natural state of being children of wrath. It's what we need from God in order to not be crushed by God. Kids in the room, listen up. Raise your hand if you were expecting to get a whooping, spanking, beating, whatever you call it. And I mean that you knew that you deserved it, but your parents didn't go through with it. All right? All right, cool. It happens, right? That's what we call mercy. It simply but profoundly means that we don't get what we deserve. As sinners, we deserve not only death but hell as well, but because God has been merciful. All of us who believe, all of what I've been saying, have been spared of this spiritual death. And God is rich in mercy. In other words, it's not something that he lacks. It's not something that he doesn't have. He has plenty of it. The God of the Bible is not the God of the Jehovah Witnesses who limits his mercy to 144,000 people. The God of the Bible is not the God of the Hebrew Israelites who limits his mercy to those of African descent. The God of the Bible is not the God of the nation of Islam who limits his mercy to those of African descent and keep the five pillars. The God of the Bible is not the God of Islam who limits his mercy to those who keep the five pillars, but the God of the Bible is the one who is rich in mercy and ready to pour it out on anyone who trusts in him. Now, if you feel like this does not include you, then you are wrong. It's available for you. There is no one that is in Christ who hasn't checked in here. There was no one who is in Christ who hasn't had to revisit God's mercy. Let me tell you what's happening right here. Paul David Tripp says, the Bible reveals your identity. It tells you that you are not only a creation of an awesome God, but because of sin, you are a fallen creation. You were created by God to be dependent on him, but sin makes you rebellious. Sin makes you quest for independence and self-sufficiency. Sin makes you love what is foolish while thinking that you are wise. Sin makes you think that you're capable of what you cannot do. Sin makes you think that you're really righteous when your heart is corrupt. 
Sin convinces you that you are okay when actually you're heading for disaster. But the Bible lovingly confronts you with everything that you are not. It does so in order that you would run after everything you could be. The Bible forces you to face your foolishness and failure so you could run to the one who is wisdom and righteousness and find hope in him. There is no safety in anything outside of God's mercy. And if you're feeling like you are too far gone or gone too far, in the words of Kevin Burgess, my God loves your type. If you're feeling like you've gone too far or you're too, or you're too, too far gone, God loves people just like you. I'm convinced that we're often discouraged in our faith when we are not assured of our faith. And when this is the case, we default to something that feels like earning our salvation and proving ourselves to God. What I want for us to understand this morning is that we do because and not we do in order to. Let me say that again. We do because, not do in order to. Try to make some sense of this. There have been a lot of times where I didn't feel saved and my actions were not consistent with that of a believer. When this happens, there's a tendency to fall in at least two categories. On one end, you have people who throw their hands up and say, oh, well, I must not be saved. On the other hand, you have people who are beefing up their prayer life, Bible reading, thinking that this adds to their salvation. I think that when you are in that position, good wrestling could be helpful and necessary, but it must be done so in light of truth. And that's what brings us to the third and last point. So first, we need to be reminded who we were or who we are. Second, we need to understand that God has provided a solution for our problem. Last point is that we recognize our present condition. Paul has another don't get it twisted moment right here. And once again, it's because he knows us. I think that the most behind-the-scenes introvert desires some type of glory. It may not be a desire to be publicly acknowledged or recognized, but at the very least, we've all at some point lived our lives for ourselves and not for the glory of God. Paul comes along and reminds us that if we do indeed have salvation, it is by grace through faith. Now, grace is kind of like mercy. Mercy is not getting what we deserve, and grace is getting what we do not deserve. So at this point, we clearly see that we, what we deserve, and it's definitely not salvation. However, a merciful, and as we see here, gracious God has granted it to us. Earlier, I mentioned some other religions and how they attain salvation. The one thing that they all have in common is that they are works-based religions. They essentially earn and find much pride in what they do. And if I'm to be honest, I think that we can learn from their discipline, their commitment, and dedication. But the difference is that we do what we do because and not in order to. We pray because we are saved not in order to be saved. We read our Bibles because we are saved, not in order to be saved. We come to church because we are saved, not in order to be saved. Realizing that my salvation is not dependent on what I do, but because of what God has done for me. And God has constructed it to be like this so that we don't have anything to boast in. 
When someone asks us our story and how we became a believer, there should be no such thing as us being the co-star in that story. So for those who wrestle with the assurance of salvation, make sure that you are wrestling in light of this truth. Do you have hope? If so, in what? What is the object of your faith? Your faith can be your faith can only be as strong as the object in which you place it. And if that is Christ, then there is nothing that you can add to your salvation, but you can rest in it. And resting in Christ can be one of the hardest things to do because we are wired to work for what we want, but it's also one of the sweetest, refreshing feelings that you can have. Now, I must also say this. If the object of your faith is not Christ, then the wrath that I was talking about earlier still lies on you. If this ceiling represents the, the wrath of God and it came crashing down on you, you have nothing to protect you from that. This is a realization of God's wrath and how it destroys people who haven't trust their, placed their trust in Christ. And on the other hand, if you trust in Christ, God will be merciful to you just as, he been, just as he has been merciful with others. Whether you are not a believer, exploring the faith, just became a Christian, or have been a Christian for years, we are all in need of God's mercy. The Bible calls for us to repent and believe. If this is the first time that you're doing this, praise Jesus. If this is the 489th time that you're doing this, praise Jesus. I want to be clear about something. You must pursue holiness. Whenever uh, you hear me pray when we do the uh, corporate confession, I often pray the phrase, pursue holiness. Why? Because it's a fight. It's, it's a fight. It's difficult to pursue holiness at times. And the fight that we're in in every moment of every day, and it's not like tomorrow. There are no days off when it comes to pursuing holiness. I don't want you to hear me saying that you can lose your salvation, but I also don't want you to hear me saying that you can live a life that's contrary to God and expect to go to heaven. It doesn't work like that. Repentance is turning from sin, trusting in Christ, and fighting against sin. You will mess up. You will hate your sin and your flesh sometimes. You will hate yourself but I'm asking for the sake of your soul for you to persevere with us. Paul said that we've been sealed with the Spirit. John Calvin says that, uh, calls it the perseverance of the saints, but the old heads say that I will stay on the battlefield until I die. A couple of points of application, and I'm out. On God's holiness, I use the tabernacle as an example of a physical structure that pointed to God's holiness. So you remember it was divided into to different sections. Now, I do believe that some churches use this and abuse it. For example, uh, a friend of mine got married at a church, and uh, he, was trying, he was about to step up into the pulpit, and the deacon that was at that church said, whoa, 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 no, 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 no. You can't step into the pulpit. That's only for ministers. Okay. All right, sir. <laughs> Text like this, right? 
I think it's, it's going too far. But at the same time, I do think that we should always be careful to acknowledge that there is something sacred that's happening here when we gather together for church. I get it. This building has its quirks. I, I get it. I understand. However, it shouldn't take away from what's happening here. I think that we should model for our kids and others that something special and sacred is happening here when we sing, when we pray, and when the word is being preached. I saw Anna uh, post something the other day. A man said that they weren't feeling worship that day, and the preacher responded and said, that's okay, we weren't worshiping you, all right? So we're a pretty relaxed and laid-back church, but don't let that distract you from the fact that we are worshiping a holy God. Amen? Next, we need to understand that growing in godliness is a slow and subtle process. So uh, Jody and I uh, went to Georgia this weekend. We got back at 6 o'clock this morning, so the fact that I'm in front of you right now with all this energy is amazing. <laughs> don't clap. I'm crashing right after I get down from you. Uh, but Jody sees her little cousin, and she says, Bethany, it looks like uh, you're growing. And I thought about something that Martin Lloyd-Jones said, uh, that, when we, that when we see kids, we say, it looks like you've been growing because you really can't tell, right? Like they kind of look the same size, but they kind of look bigger. Well, it's the same with our holiness and God. It's a slow and subtle process that we have for the rest of our lives. And I say this so that you won't be discouraged and beat yourself up to a point to where you're disarmed and you're not encouraged in pursuing holiness. It's a slow and subtle process. Lastly, we need to hear the struggle of the saints. Amen? Amen. So Paul says that we all... What did you say, Tony? <laughs> so Paul says that we all once lived in the passions of our flesh. This doesn't exclude anyone. There is no deep Greek word behind the word all. This is every single person, Right? Carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. Do you know how much of a disservice you're doing others when you don't talk about that kind of stuff? I'm not saying don't use wisdom, but I'm also saying that someone needs to hear it. That's why we have people share their testimonies up here sometimes. We want you to hear about the work that, is, that God is doing in their lives, but we also want you to hear what God saved them from. So we heard stories about those who were addicted to drugs, those who were addicted to selling drugs, fornication, adultery, robbing, and a long list of messy stuff. Our lives are messy. Our lives have been messy, but God, right? And, when we, and we need to be real about it. And people who aren't coming here and people who aren't coming here because they'll feel judged need to hear the same thing. So when people say stuff like the church is full of hypocrites, my response is, you should feel right at home. We got Sunday school started at 9.30. Church starts at 10.30, right? We're a mess, and we shouldn't be ashamed to be real about our struggles. We shouldn't be ashamed to admit it and point them to a God that changed us and wants to change them as well. But, 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 as we share, let's not boast in our struggles or in our past. I am guilty of doing this, going down memory lane and feeling like I'm acting like the children of Israel, acting like I had it better in Egypt, when in reality, that was sin that was sending me to a grave, in a spiritual grave, right? 
So ladies and gentlemen, let's be real about our struggles, past and current. Let's recognize that God has provided a solution to our problem and may recognize our present condition. And no matter where you are, I'll leave, with a, leave you with a verse from Psalm 34. It says, this poor saved him out of all his troubles. One more point that just popped in my head, and I'm going to let you go through. When it comes to our salvation, there is God, God, you know, he seals us. But at the same time, we should treat salvation like something that's delicate and that we love. Now, my wife and our soon-to-come daughter will be protected by me at any cost. Amen? So if you run in the crib and you're trying to bring harm to my daughter and my wife, so help you God. That says that is what it is, all right? I think we should have that same view when it comes to our salvation. Not believing that it's something that we can do in, you know, within ourselves. We, we ultimately trust God, but recognizing it as a precious gift from God that we must steward well. Amen? All right, let's pray.